Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Blog Talk Radio. It's the Speedway Show, an idea exchange empowering you to live well, live fully, and love deeply. And now, here's our host, Speedway Pierce. Well, hi to all of you, and welcome to the Speedway Show, an idea exchange empowering us to live well, live fully, and love deeply by improving the quality of our personal, professional, and spiritual relationships. If you haven't already, check it out, um, our website at www.thespeedwayshow.com. This is the place where you can listen to the shows, see what's coming up, read and post comments, and send me an email and lots of other things. If Facebook is more your speed. You can join in the discussion and listen to posted on-demand shows on your own time on the fan page, facebook.com slash The Speedway Show. You can also follow the show on Twitter, and the handle is, surprise, surprise, The Speedway Show. Our topic for today is good is not enough, and other Unwritten Rules for Minority Professionals. This is the title of an excellent book by my guest, the phenomenal Keith R. White. Perhaps you are a woman, an ethnic minority, or you have a sexual orientation that you are open about. You might be a middle management executive and frustrated, confused, and burned out. You are good at what you do, Your results are good, and your performance is as good as your peers, who seem to get ahead instead of you. To make matters worse, maybe you don't have a mentor or a sponsor to turn to for guidance and to help break through some of those barriers. As the title of Keith's book suggests, to rise above the ranks of middle management and into the boardroom, good is not enough. Pick up your copy today and learn how to unlock the doors to the rest of your career. You can access it from the link on the show description at thespeedwayshow.com, or you can get it from Keith's website, keithweich.com, Keith, K-E-I-T-H, Weich, W-Y-C-H-E.com, or you can pick it up at amazon.com. Keith Weich is an author, career coach, thought leader, award winner, and an executive in uh, some of America's most notable companies, or at least he has been. He's not all of those companies at the moment. Keith knows what it takes to be one of the highest-ranking African-American executives in the U.S., and organizations such as Home Depot, Harvard National uh, Society of Hispanic MBAs, Cargill, Microsoft, New York Life, Northrop Grumman, uh, Grumman, GE, Black Recruiters Network, and National Association for Multi-Ethnicities in Communications have benefited by having Keith share his personal insights from inside the executive suite. Keith has more than 30 years of experience in some of corporate America's most notable companies, including Ameritech. Convergence Corporation, AT&T, and IBM, Pitney Bowes, and he is currently the president of Cub Foods, which is a division of Super Value. Keith empowers today's minority professionals to see themselves through the same lens from which they are viewed by executive decision makers. 
His audiences receive practical advice that eliminates the maze that confines them at middle management. Keith has been recognized for his leadership. Uh, He has been a board member for the prestigious Executive Leadership Council, the National Black MBA Association Board, uh, named, uh, named him MBA of the Year. He was honored as a man of distinction by the National Urban League. He was profiled by Black Enterprise Magazine, Ebony Magazine, and Diversity MBA. In 2007, Diversity MBA Magazine, uh, P&L Publishing, Top 50, 50 Under 50, and um, uh, 50 Under 50 African American MBAs. So, Keith has a lot under his belt, and his staff clients also include Ameriprise Financial, Chubb, Microsoft, Northrop Grumm, Target Stores, ExxonMobil, New York Life, Textron, National Black MBA Association, National Association of Minorities in Communication, Black Recruiters Network, GE, and Northern Trust. Well, I could go on and on about Keith uh, and his accolades, But we're going to stop there because I think that gives you at least some idea of who this man is. Keith, welcome to the Speedway Show. Speedway, thank you so much for having me, and it's a great, lovely, sunny day here in Washington, (laughs) D.C. That's very nice. As a result of the wonders of technology, Keith is in Washington, D.C. I'm in Minnesota today, and um, we are going to have a wonderful discussion about Keith's book. Now, one of the things that makes this show so different from other relationship discussions is our focus on spirituality and our reliance on the life manual as a guidepost to living fully and increasing the success of our relationships. If you are wondering, listeners, what a life manual is, it is the manual that comes with your body, mind, and spirit. Depending on your personal persuasion, you may use the Hebrew Bible, the Bhagavad Gita, the Quran, the Christian Bible, or some other holy writing that speaks to you. While expressed in different ways, the underlying truths about living right, living a godly life, tend to be the same. Keith, I'm going to ask you the question that I have taken to asking all of my guests. Do you happen to use a life manual? I most certainly do, and I've used it for many, many years, and that would actually be uh, the Christian Bible. Uh, And I may vary between the New King James Version or the NIV, but uh, I find that it's a guidebook uh, for me for life uh, and pretty much any question I've ever had in life. uh, If I look at it and search the Scriptures, uh, pray and meditate, uh, God has a way of answering and showing me uh, what his thoughts are on that. So that's kind of my life manual, so to speak. Well, excellent. That's an interesting observation because... Um, I hear you say that you use the manual and you use prayer and you use meditation, which I think is awesome because it actually does work. Um, We are going to kick off our topic today with a clip. Uh, Some of you listeners may have watched the um, movie North Country. It was based on a true story, and um, that was a movie about uh, gender discrimination. And uh, since we're talking about good is not enough today, we're going to use a couple of clips to illustrate just that point. So take a listen to the great right clip. I think you're one of my girls, right? Pardon me, I'm Donald Pearson. I believe you work for me. Wow, yeah. Uh, Josie Ames, nice to meet you. These are my kids, Sammy, Karen... I I was down to the plant this week, and I remembered your face. Welcome aboard. If you have any problems, you make sure you come and see me. Thank you. Enjoy your meal. Wait, 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 wait. Well, we start with, I think you're one of my girls. Um which I thought was an interesting way for this man to introduce himself to his first female um, worker. Uh, So, Keith, uh, although today we are focusing on good is not enough, uh, I understand that you are working on another book. Is that right? 
Yes, I am. Uh, actually, uh, Good Is Not Enough came out in 2008, and the original idea was to follow up with uh, my second book with Penguin Press uh, in 2011. Well, the good thing is that uh, 2008's book, Good Is Not Enough, is still selling, uh, and so we've delayed the release of my next book, which will really uh, focus on uh, understanding more about uh, performance, exposure, and perception, uh, and how those three components uh, have to be managed throughout your career. So I'll really take a deeper dive uh, into those three areas uh, and give insights on you know really how you leverage your performance, your exposure, and perception uh, to really you know take your career to the next level. So. Um, be on the lookout. We're looking maybe at as early as the spring of 2012, but more likely the fall of 2012. Excellent. Well, I can't wait for that book because um, I read Good Is Not Enough, and I just, you know, there was just so much in it that uh, was valuable, and I was, you know, thinking that I was doing pretty well in my career, but there was a whole lot that I had yet to do. And um, so in speaking of Good Is Not Enough, what inspired you to write it? Yeah, what inspired me to write the book was that I had gotten to a point in my career and in life and a certain level of maturity where uh, I was transitioning from what I call success to significance. Uh, and what that means, uh, Speedway, is that for most of my life, because of how I grew up, you know, poor, uh, inner-city kid, uh, success to me was really about things, education, money, houses, homes, what have you. Uh, and in about 2005, I looked around and I had all of that. Uh, a, something was still missing, and B, uh, a very good friend of mine was passing away, and on his deathbed, he, he challenged me to do something to leave a legacy. Uh, and while I struggled with what that was, uh, it began to really transform that, you know, success is great, but success dies when you die. Uh, but significance leaves a legacy, and I define significance by taking your success, your lessons, the things you've learned in life to help you get where you are, your failures and your successes, uh, and share that and pour that into that next generation, uh, and that's leaving a legacy. And so uh, that was really the idea behind the book, the concept, and the motivation. So what was the, what was the if you were to pick the underlying message that you wanted to convey with this book, what would that be? The underlying message is one of self-empowerment, is to say that you know you can do this. If you choose to uh, get into this game of corporate America, and I talk about it being a game, uh, even though you didn't get in with the same equipment as everyone else, even though they didn't tell you all the rules, uh, you can get there. And so this book really tries to condense the experiences of myself and many other senior-level executives to say, hey, here are some of the things that maybe no one told us, mom didn't tell us, dad didn't tell us because they didn't know, they didn't teach us in school, uh, and so it's really to help empower you to let you know that you are the owner, the author, and the architect of your career, and you can do it. Wow. Well, um, one of the things, you know, we, we don't have enough time to cover all of the chapters of this book, which is somewhat to my chagrin. But, um, you know, to your point, the, the subtitle for this book is and other, you know, Good Is Not Enough and Other Unwritten Rules for Minority Professionals which I thought was really um, useful because it is exactly that. It's the stuff that you were not told by anybody. And it's just sort of the stuff that, you know, many of us just kind of figure out over over time as we bumble along. Um, the chapter, one of your chapters starts with the question, how well do you really know your company? And um, having worked in a lot of corporations, I suspect that there's a lot of significance for you to that question. Tell us why that matters. You know, corporate culture really is one of the most significant determinants of, of your happiness and your career uh, success from a, a company perspective because every company has a culture uh, that needs to be defined. Now, the first thing I would say is that uh, is it a company whose culture uh, embraces diversity? Um, and one of the ways I always tell people to look at that is to you know, look at the board of directors of your company, look at the senior leadership team, uh, look at the events that they attend or sponsor, uh, because if you're not in an organization that values uh, diverse thought, diverse presence, diverse leadership, uh, you may or may not rise in that company, or you may have a more difficult challenge rising in that company. So that's the first thing. The second thing, though, uh, is that corporations have a pulse. They have a culture that that's a pulse of it. And so, for example, uh, I have spent most of my career uh, at companies like IBM and AT&T. Well, they operate totally different uh, than a super value, for example, who's in the grocery business. And so uh, you have to understand the culture and, and that you know what works 
uh, in some circles of uh, corporate America may not work in other uh, circles. I experienced that myself coming to Super Value. So, so those are the things that, uh, that, that really are important. And thirdly, uh, how are people rewarded? Are they rewarded on things like seniority, or are they rewarded, rewarded on performance and the value that they bring? Because if you are in an organization that's more of a seniority-based organization, you can be the most valuable uh, employee there is, but until you get you know, 15, 20, 30 years under your belt, you really won't get the recognition and reward that you like. And deserve. And does the size of the company matter? You know, size does matter to to, to a large degree. And what I mean by that is that a larger corporation will, will have more resources, theoretically, at, at their disposal. Uh, they'll have more programs to help uh, mentor you and, and coach you. Uh, conversely, smaller companies, however, uh, you may have to wear so many hats that your experience level uh, can, can really uh you know, it'd be enhanced exponentially because you have to do so much uh, in that environment. So there's pros and cons to both. I would not say that you have to go a big corporation, but I would say you need to understand the differences between a small, uh, a mid-sized, and a large organization, how they operate. Is it, for, for somebody who is contemplating a move into a different organization, is it easier or more difficult to get into an organization based on size, or does that depend on a whole lot of other factors? Yeah, it, it's really a whole lot of other factors. You know, everything from you know what needs they may have uh, to what's what, what industry are they in. So if you know if you're right now you're trying to get into uh, a company that's in the payphone business, uh, good luck with that. Uh, because uh, my guess is they're not hiring, uh, and so again, you, you want to you know always be abreast of you know what are the industries, what, what are the you know the trends, uh, what, what's what's needed, what's needed. You know, we have an aging society, so healthcare is something that I think will be around. So, uh, you know, one of the reasons I'm in the grocery business is because, in the words of my 95 year old grandmother, uh, hey, people got to eat, and so you know, so much of it has to do with you know the economy, what's going on in that industry. Okay, so what I'm hearing you saying is that actually if I'm thinking about moving into an organization, part of what I have to give thought to is what is the future of that industry in general as opposed to, oh, look, they're hiring. Oh, absolutely. I'll give you a perfect example in my career. Um, I spent, uh, you know, six great years at a company called Pitney Bowes. Uh, I got there in 2003. I left in 2009. But Pitney Bowes' primary driver uh, was mailing. Uh, and as we saw the mail volumes decline in the U.S. population uh, to the point where the U.S. Postal Service is, is now uh, looking for ways to cut costs, uh, so did I see the career you know, trajectory was not really great in, in an organization where uh, their main product is a product that's really on the, the, the dying end of the technology uh, and information industry. So uh, great company. I'm not saying you couldn't have a great career there, but you know, when I looked at my longevity, I uh, didn't see the runway. Mm-hmm. Well, we are going to listen to another clip, and um, this is going to um, uh, tee off our next topic, and we're going to talk about gender bias. So take a listen to this clip. Miss Ames, sorry to keep you waiting so long. Please sit. Gentlemen. I asked some of my colleagues to sit in, if you don't mind. No. I believe you know Mr. Pavich? Yes, I do. Mr. Pavich was the one who told me I had to take a day off work to come and see you. Didn't want to waste your time, sir. Well, I appreciate that, but it's not a waste at all. Ms. Ames has a problem, and we're going to solve it. Thank you, Mr. Pearson. That's, that's really great. I didn't want to forget anything, so I wrote a couple of things down on a piece of paper here. <clears throat> Excuse me, Josie. Do you mind if I call you Josie? No. I'd like to make this easier for you, if you don't mind. I already know what you're going to tell me. I've been well briefed. Well, that's great. I just thought that maybe a few... Please, uh, I think you'll be pleasantly surprised. Okay. Well, the current union contract requires that an employee provide us with two weeks' notice before leaving his position. However, given how obviously emotional this has been for you, we're willing to do something special in this case. We've decided to waive the two-week requirement and allow you to tender your resignation effective immediately. I'm sorry. I just, 
I'm not resigning. Mr. I... Cabbage will take care of the details. I'd be happy. No. I'm not quitting. I need this job. Well, then I suggest you spend less time stirring up your female co-workers and less time in the beds of your married male co-workers and more time trying to find ways to improve your job performance. Does anyone else have anything to add? Present. Josie, thank you again for making the drive down here. Now, if you don't mind, we have other business. Now, you will remember that that was the same man who introduced himself to her at the uh, in our previous clip and told her that if she had any problems, that uh, she should go to him. And obviously, she did have some problems and um, had a whole long list. And uh, you see how well that went. And uh, with the references to um, uh, how emotional the situation had been for her. And uh, on, on the heels of that clip, Keith, I'm wondering if you have heard stories, because this is based on a true story. I'm wondering if you have heard stories from uh, either female coworkers or the women, any of the women that you have mentored, or if you've observed situations where you've got things like that that happen and it's, you know, it's, 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 there's clearly that undertone of either race or gender that impacts the perceptions and the conversations and the way careers tend to go. Yeah, you know, while I'd like to think that, you know, that clip is really kind of a Neanderthal clip that doesn't happen today, uh, the reality of it is there's, there's certain situations in certain industries where women have either not typically been in or uh, have not really been in traditional female roles that uh, those things might uh, still happen. But but I, I'd like to hope that we're a more enlightened society uh, and, and that we've moved beyond that. Uh, most of the challenges that, that I see women face, and, and those are still some of them, uh, really, you know, revolve around, you know, five areas that I, that I like to, you know, talk about. One is uh, definitely having a lack of, you know, opportunity to pursue uh, general management or line experience jobs. Very often, you know, women uh, are, are not necessarily given P&L responsibility, and so you really can't get to be an Ursula Burns, who's CEO of Xerox, if you're not given that opportunity. Uh, secondly is exclusion from informal networks, uh, the good old boys club. Uh, and it's not an in-your-face, it's not even necessarily deliberate, uh, but there's things as simple as uh, at a company outing, the men uh, all go play golf and the women go to the spa uh, because that's how they've been assigned. And the reality is, you know, on the golf course, uh, you know, Keith is a male executive spending four or five hours with the senior leader playing golf, getting to know him or her, uh, and the uh, female executive is in the spa and say six months later a job comes up that both are equally qualified for uh, and the hiring manager happened to be the one playing golf with Keith, guess who has a better chance at that job? So so those are one of the things that happened as well. The other one, which is really big, is, is the failure of what I call senior leadership to assume accountability for a woman's advancement. Uh, very often when that young hotshot uh, guy comes out of grad school or, or college, there, there's a senior guy in the organization who will take him under his wing and, you know, that kid reminds me of me and uh, really help him up the ladder. Uh, I don't see that necessarily with, with women. I don't think men necessarily feel comfortable sometimes doing that. But even more concerning is that sometimes I don't even see senior-level women reaching back to help other women. So that can be a challenge. Uh, stereotyping and, this, again, the, the misperceptions about women, which your clip highlighted uh, definitely uh, well. Uh, and so, and then the last thing is just really, uh, there's still leaders who will use a woman's, you know, family responsibilities as, as an excuse to, to not give her a promotion. Well, you know, she has kids and, you know, and so those are things that, that really shouldn't take place in the workplace, but from time to time they still happen. Well, you know, that's interesting. That last piece, I was reading an article in um, uh, some legal journal that talked about a cause of action called marital status discrimination. And it's the idea that sometimes when jobs are being developed, one of the things that, you know, rises up in a conversation is, well, we, we're not going to offer him that job because he's got kids in, in, in school in whatever neighborhood he's in and he's probably not going to want to move or his wife is, you know, she's a partner at blah, blah, 
and um, we're sure that she's probably, you know, going to want to stay there, so we're not going to offer him that position. And those are precisely the kinds of things that should never factor into a hiring or a promotional decision. But um, according to this article, at any, at, at any rate, you there is a prevalence still of that kind of thinking. And um, my guess would be that it probably impacts women disproportionately because they are more often viewed as the caregivers for the family. So the question for you that I would ask, Keith, is given all of these factors that you have just outlined for us, what is the advice that you give a female professional um, for how do you manage those kinds of roadblocks and those kinds of obstacles? Well, the first piece of advice I would give, and I would give this really to, to any uh, professional, but, but particularly for, for women, uh, is make sure that you, know, you have what, what I would call uh, documented value to your organization, that they understand the value that you bring, they understand the results that you deliver, because at the end of the day, you know, it should be more about performance uh, and not whether you were born male or female. So that's the first thing. The second thing is I would say always maintain your professionalism. You will always encounter jerks. Uh, and there was a saying years ago, never let them see you sweat. Don't lose your professionalism in that discussion. Make sure that it's fact-based, logical, uh, because they're quick to throw out the emotional card for women. Uh, in fact, in my career, there's been times where my passion about a subject has been misinterpreted as anger. So, uh, you know, maintain your emotion and, and maintain your professionalism. Uh, I would also say, you know, you, you really need to uh, be flexible. When I say be flexible, uh, understand that, you know, every corporation has a culture and try to understand that culture. But more importantly, try and seek out, uh, if you have one, a, a mentor uh, who, who has been there, who's older, uh, who, who's fought those wars, because you know, she may be able to help you uh, from that perspective. And I believe in having multiple mentors. So I'm not saying just have one and she has to be a female, you know, have a female. But you need someone who can help you navigate through that. Uh, because it can be challenging. But, again, if you focus on the value that you deliver and the results that you deliver, uh, everything else you know, should, should really fall in line. Now, switching to another topic that I thought was just, it was just begging for discussion, um, you have a chapter on career killers that must be avoided. Um, are career killers more significant to people of color compared to the majority professional population, and can you give us some examples? You know, I, I, when I think about the examples and answering your question, I think this, it's less the fact that, you know, it's uh, more targeted, but it's just more pronounced. Um, you know, because people come in with their own internal biases and, and what have you, uh, you know, there are things that, you know, if, if a majority counterpart does that, it may be excused or explained away. And there are times when, you know, we don't get that second chance. And so uh, an example, you know, that, that I'll share was years ago in my career where there were two employees who, uh, in my mind, both had abused uh, their corporate card. Uh, those cards are strictly for uh, corporate business. Uh, both of these folks uh, had abused it. Uh, but when it came down to the majority counterpart, uh, you know, his manager pleaded that, well, you know, it was a tight spot and he knew his commission check was coming later. Uh, and, you know, let's just overlook that one. Uh, and whereas the uh, African-American uh, person was a male, uh, was, you know, oh, it's a code of conduct violation, let's fire him. And so, you know, I had to, you know, really be Solomon and say, wait a minute, you know, the rules have to apply both ways. Uh, they both violated the code of conduct, and so we either will write them both up or we'll dismiss them both. But you have to, you know, met out the same, you know, justice. And so uh, th there are things that, you know, again, you can do. Another example, I think, or uh, when I look at uh, recently, um, the, the CEO of a very large uh, computer company uh, was caught in an adulterous affair um, and left this very large company in disgrace only to be hired less than two weeks later by another large company. Uh, I don't think if Ken Chanel were to do something like that that you see Ken Chanel pop up uh, two weeks later at a light company. So uh, I think those things are still out there. Uh, but uh, at the end of the day, you know, again, you have to be focused on integrity. Uh, you have to be a person of vision. I call it, you know, uh, vision, integrity, and purpose. And, and if you stay that way, you'll, these things won't, won't even be a factor in your career. Well, one of the areas that you admonish against is what you call the no-brainer career killer, which is ethical behavior, which is what you're alluding to just now. And part of you know what I have heard uh, over the course of my career is, well, if everybody else 
in my department, if everybody else in my company is doing it, if it has been deemed, you know, it, it, it might not be sanctioned specifically, but, you know, people know that things are going on and they kind of nod, nod, wink, wink, and they don't do anything about it. Why, why, why um, is it that if I engage in the same kind of behavior, I then become a target and then there's sort of the flashlight put on me just because, you know, I'm either a woman or I'm black or I'm Hispanic or something else. Well, again, it's a situation where, you know, we can debate, you know, should it be or should it not be, but the reality of it is it is. And, and you have to understand that as long as you hold yourself uh, to be a person of, again, you know, vision and integrity and, and you know, performance and perseverance and those things, uh, it's not about, hey, I broke the rules and, and, and so you let them off, why aren't you letting me off? Don't break the rules. And, and that's why I call them no-brainers. They're just things that, you know, you just don't do. <laughs> I'll, I'll never forget a few years back I had a sales manager who thought it was an appropriate thing to have a sales meeting for his team uh, at a gentleman's club, and he had women on his team. Uh, and uh, he, he saw nothing wrong with that. And, and as we walked him out the door, I explained to him why uh, that was not a good career move. And, 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 you know, he talked about who else had done that. Uh, and it's not a matter who else. It, it's about you. You are the owner and architect of your career. Uh, and so it's really a matter of just making sure that you keep your head above water and that you do things that, you know, you know in your heart are right. So That's interesting. I remember I learned this lesson when I was in sixth, sixth grade. And um, I was sitting with a bunch of other kids, and they were laughing and giggling and just kind of making noise. And this went on for a while. And the teacher said absolutely nothing. So I'm the only black kid, and I'm surrounded by, you know, a couple of white kids, and the teacher's white. And I watched and I listened, and he just ignored it. And it wasn't until... I finally laughed because I thought, I wonder if he's going to say anything if he hears my voice. So I kind of chuckled, and immediately, immediately, he stopped what he was doing, and he turned around, and he looked at me, and he just lit into me, called me a baboon and everything. And, of course, all the other kids who had been laughing just stopped. And I remember, and he kicked me out of the class, walked me out of the class, you're misbehaving, get out. And um, I never forgot that lesson because it was probably about five minutes into all of this joshing that I finally said something. And, and to your point, it wasn't about what those other kids were doing. It was about it was it was about me. And um, that was the lesson. You can either complain about how you're being mistreated from outside the classroom, or you can behave and stay inside the classroom understanding that sometimes rules are disproportionately applied when it comes to you. Absolutely. You know, and, and that's just a reality of life. And, and, and again, as long as you walk in integrity, uh, it's not an issue. Uh, and so that, that's really what I encourage, you know, really you know, all professionals, but for minority professional, integrity is extremely important, and it really must be upheld at all times. And you, you may have a legal right to, to claim things or if you feel you're treating differently, but it, it's really best just not to commit the violation in the first place. And you also talk about avoiding even the appearance of code of conduct violations. You know, as, as a lawyer, we have a code of ethics, and one of the things that we are not supposed to do as lawyers is um, we're not supposed to engage in any conduct that would create even the appearance of impropriety. And so that spoke to me when I read that in the book because I thought, aha, you know, Keith is saying exactly the same thing that applies for lawyers but applies for any professional, which is it's not enough just to behave, but you also have to avoid even the appearance of misconduct in and and so my question for you is have you seen occasions where just the appearance of having done something wrong has caused somebody a problem an admonition or even a career change yeah and again it's it's you know something as simple as drinking after hours with your your, your direct reports uh and, and drinking too much uh, I mean, those are things that just throw off the appearance. Uh, I'm very careful when, it deal when dealing with the opposite sex to make sure that, you know, if I have meetings um, that, that, you know, particularly they're going to be contentious, that, you know, they're going to be held in the office. I'm not going to meet you at dinner. I'm not going to uh, – I had a, a gentleman one time who worked for me who uh, had a woman a colleague meet him in his hotel suite. It was a suite and it was a, you know, big place, but, you know, I, I shared with him, you know, the optics on that wasn't really pretty good. 
her going into your hotel room and have that conversation. You, you, you might want to hold those in a public uh, place going forward, uh, even to the point where, you know, and it's kind of shame that you have to be this way, but you have to be so politically correct today. So I don't, I don't even compliment necessarily women in my organization, oh, your hair looks nice, or is that a new dress? Uh, at award ceremonies, I shake their hand I tend not to hug, uh, because, again, I just want to avoid the very appearance of anything. Mm-hmm. Well, with that, we are going to go to our third clip of the show. And um, this spoke to me because uh, we heard the, the first two clips that involved Josie and the owner of this mining company where she works. And uh, for those of you who thought, well, you know, she's uh, she's maybe a rank and file and things are terrible, this is the conversation now that this owner of this mining company has with his lawyer, who happens to be, as you will hear, a woman. Take a listen. If she gets any of the other women, they'll get their class, and you'll lose this case. Leslie, why do you think I hired you? Because you're the smartest lawyer I could find? No. I hired you because you were the smartest woman lawyer I could find. But if you're getting soft, I need to know now. I'm not soft. But I am pragmatic. Do the Minnesota Vikings have to put a girl in at quarterback? Of course not. Some things are for men, and some things are for women. Mining is men's work. Like lawyering. See? A man would never say something like that. Women take everything too personally. You're going to take it personally, if she wins. First of all, you're not insured for punitive damages. Plus, a loss here will change the entire way you run your business. Portageons will be a blip on the radar. There'll be paid leave for pregnancies and more lawyers to draft a sexual harassment policy. Not to mention that you will have helped establish a legal precedent that will affect every single company in America, including the Minnesota Vikings. Except she's not going to win. This woman is a single welfare mother with two kids out of wedlock, assorted sexual history. We don't know if that's true. Well, there you have it. Um, this is what it looks like at the top of the ranks. And, um, you know, I, I remember when I was uh, probably about five years into my practice, I, I met this woman lawyer who started this group called the Bright Little Lady Lawyers Group, and they'd have lunch and they'd get together. And she said the reason she started that group is because there wasn't a single lawyer, a woman lawyer that she had ever talked to who had not had a male lawyer or some man at some point in her career say something like, oh, you know, you're a bright little lady lawyer. Why don't you just sit back and let us big boys handle this sort of thing? Keith, I wonder in your career, have you had circumstances where you have been subjected to that kind of, um, uh, I don't even know what to call it, uh, that kind of paternalism that, oh, you know, uh, why don't you just sit back and let us handle the big boy stuff over here? Yeah, again, I think that, you know, because of, you know, what we call being, you know, minorities in the sense of, you know, race and gender, women and people of color, uh, and, again, the perceptions of some of those folks at the top, uh, there's always been a level of, of question competence at, at times. And so there are folks who, uh, well, let me just take care of that. That's, that's probably too big for you. Uh, and so, yeah, we have that. You know, one of the things that, that's still always amazing to me is it's, you know, same church, different pew, is that there were times in another career where I'd go out to visit a client uh, with one of my juniors uh, on my team, and maybe he was a, a older white male, uh, and we go into a meeting, and the natural assumption was that he was the president and I was his assistant. Uh, and so uh, it was always interesting to see the shocked look on the faces of the folks across the table when he said, let me introduce you to my boss. Uh, and here this bald-head uh, goatee black guy uh, shows up. So, uh, you know, I, I do think, you know, that that happens um, I think you do have the right and deserve the right uh, to be treated as a professional and to, again, remind people. That's why I talk so much about being able to document the value that you bring. Uh, if you can document uh, and be confident in, in what you deliver, uh, you don't have to take a, a back seat uh, to anyone. See, um, when I talk about you know this whole concept, and you can tell I'm passionate about it. You know, I talk to companies and I say, you know what, we talk about diversity and we talk about inclusion. That's great, but diversity and inclusion don't go far enough. I say diversity, inclusion, and equality. Diversity means you get invited to the party. Uh, inclusion means you get a seat at the table. 
Equality says I get the same thing on my plate that you get on yours. And so if you give me diversity and you invite me to the party, if you make an inclusion, you give me a seat at the table, but you don't put on my plate what you put on others, I come to the party hungry, I leave the party hungry. And so uh, to me, you really have to have all three of those. Well, now, um, for the listeners, this is just another reminder. We are You're listening to the Speedway Show, and we are talking to Keith R. White, career coach, thought leader, award winner, and an executive in uh, some of America's most notable con- uh, companies. And uh, you can pick up a copy of his book, Good Is Not Enough, from www.keithweich.com. Or you can pick it up at Amazon.com, an excellent read, to be sure. Now, listeners, you may recall that on July the 31st, I interviewed Dr. Eric Winston Walton, founder of the National Executive Forum. And the topic was career versus relationship. Can they coexist? If you missed it, catch it on demand at thecwayshow.com. Now, I bring it up at this juncture because... Uh, Keith, you and I met at the Executive 50 Forum last year, and we had a conversation. I don't know if you remember. We're on the bus on our way to the facility, and I asked you how you keep centered and focused when you are so incredibly busy with a very full-time job as uh, president of Cub Foods, and yet you also own your own powerhouse with all of the other work that you do. Do you remember that conversation? I vaguely remember it, but I'm, I'm over 50 now, Speedway, so you got to work with me. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And so that's just the, the, the foundation of this show is spiritual grounding. One of the things that intrigued me um, about your answer, and you might not even remember what the answer was, um, but one of the things that you talked about when I asked you, how do you keep yourself centered, you talked about the meditations, you talked about mm-hmm. going away from time to time. So Tell us about how you manage your yourself. That, that's a great question. Now I definitely remember that conversation because it's really you know how I live my life, and, and that is you know to do these jobs, you have to be you know basically uh, on top of your game mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. Uh, I have found that I talked to many other successful executives that you will get to a point in your career of frustration of setback, of, uh, you know, really folks trying to hold you down, keep you down, that if you aren't grounded in something bigger than yourself, uh, you will just really explode. I used to joke about how there was one uh, place I worked at where I had a nemesis who, if it was not for CSI, and I saw the episode where if I shoot this guy, they'd probably find out uh, I might have killed this guy. And so... Um, to answer your question, I mean, there are things I do to stay grounded. For example, every morning um, before I let my feet hit the floor, uh, you know, I, I just thank my Lord and God for another day, for another opportunity. Uh, when I get to my desk, my team knows that one of the first things I do is I have daily devotionals that I read uh, and meditate on. Uh, because, you know, I really need to, to put my armor on for, for what uh, dragons I may have to slay that day. Uh, and then the other thing I do is I take time. Uh, and this is not something I've always done, but you have to take time to renew uh, and to really revitalize and charge your batteries. Um, too often we're hard charging and it's work, 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 work. Uh, but a wise man once told me that if Jesus took time uh, to relax and go over to the other side and get away from things, uh, then, then who are we not to? And so uh, I try and have balance in that perspective that uh, I do take time away uh, to recharge my batteries. So do you work? Um, seven days a week, or do you insist on taking time out for yourself on one of those days? I, I, I insist on taking time out for myself every day. Um, and it could be something as simple as uh, giving myself 15 minutes to, to, to listen to my favorite uh, songs in my office. I have a CD player or not, an iPod player in my office, and I, and I will take a mini vacation during the day. Uh, I try and find time uh, during the week uh, to exercise. Uh, because I consider myself a corporate athlete, and, and so three to five times a week you'll find me in the gym for about an hour, uh, and that's my me time. Uh, every now and then, you know, I'll, I'll take time to, to just really um, take a mental health break uh, and go take a walk around. Uh, I work next to the St. Croix River, and I'll just, you know, take a walk along the banks of the river. So I think, you know, it's not, you know, waiting till you're exhausted to do that. And, and trust me, Speedway, this is a lesson I had to learn 
uh, after being exhausted, after being burned out, that you really have to find, uh, if not perfect balance, managed imbalance where uh, there's days when you have to come first. Well, I like the term managed imbalance because um, I, I think for a lot of very busy professionals, life often feels like there is imbalance. And we talk a lot about, you know, about the need for work-life balance. But, you know, for so many people, it's like there is no life. <laughs> there is work. And, um, you know, there's, there's no time for the life balance. And so when you talk about managed imbalance, you know, that speaks to me because I'm thinking, yeah, there are a lot of times when I feel like my life is not particularly balanced. So the goal is really just to sort of manage the imbalance that does exist. Yeah, because uh, So one one of the questions that I have for you, based on what you said earlier, you said uh, in in the morning, um, you you take time out and and you, it sounds like you you really thank God. And the question that I have about that is, what do you do with the negative emotions? How How do you process those? Well, you know, the first thing I do is, is I allow myself to have them uh, because they're real and I feel those things. Uh, the second thing I do is then I sit back and I try and, and really as objectively as I can look at the situation, why am I feeling this way, uh, you know, why am I behaving this way, uh, and, and some decisions can be made. So if, if I'm negative because I'm around by, surrounded by negative people, uh, there's no saying that if you can't change the people around you, change the people around you. Uh, and so I deal with that uh, and make sure that, you know, I don't like being surrounded by negativity. But at the end of the day, uh, I have learned, and there's a scripture that talks to how all things work together for good, that even those things that frustrate me, even those things that, that may appear to be negative, uh, are opportunities to learn, develop, and grow. I will tell you I've learned more from my failures than my successes. Uh, I've looked, learned more from my enemies than my friends. Uh, some of the, the worst teachers and the toughest teachers I had taught me the most. Some of the worst bosses I had uh, taught me the most, in that, and sometimes they taught me what not to do. But... Uh, that even though this thing frustrates me, even though it's a negative situation, uh, one, you know, let's look at it objectively. Uh, two, let's see what we can learn from it. Uh, and three, if you have to, you know, leave that environment or leave that person, uh, do that. Life's too short. Wow. Well, that's pretty helpful um, because, you know, oftentimes uh, we we hear a lot about the value of gratitude. And um, it's, it's powerful to be sure, but, you know, when you're sitting there at your desk and you're flaming mad because you just had that one conversation with that one coworker who just drives you nuts, um, you're probably not feeling so grateful in that moment. <laughs> <laughs> not at all. And so the challenge becomes, well, how do you even, you know, how do you deal with those things? And um, the next question I would have for you is, you know, oftentimes when people think about, Spirituality, since we're on the topic, I find that sometimes, you know, it's it's compartmentalized. So maybe somebody goes to their place of worship. And uh, so as a Christian, they go to church on Sunday and, you know, they sit there for however many hours. And um, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, life is good. And um, then they go to work. Or maybe they get up in the morning, they say a prayer, and then they go to work. And there isn't necessarily a sense that the two, either spirituality and the work environment, either go together or that your spirituality is something that you can um, utilize and draw strength upon when you are at work. And so to that end, I wonder if you find relevance between your spirituality in even the daily things that you do when you're working. Oh, absolutely. Uh, you know, it, it's I surround myself with information and, and, and things to really help me look. There's a book uh, that I have that, that really, it, it's really a spiritual book that says, you know, how you know an executive should deal with situations at work. And so uh, it, it gives you, if you have to fire someone, you know, here's what you think about, here's what you pray about. Uh, and it's right next to my, my phone at work because uh, there's days I need to draw upon that. Um, you know, I talk in the book about, you know, being a, you know, a person of vision, 
uh, you know, integrity and perseverance. And then we talk about the, the biblical character Joseph and all he goes through. And so throughout the day, uh, it's really a situation where uh, I'm in constant harmony with my spirituality because I need it to survive. Uh, and I was not always that way, Speedway. Again, I, I grew up, you know, conquering dragons, and it's me, 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 me. But I have learned that life mm-hmm. will give you uh, storms and lessons that will knock you to your knees to the point where you realize you can't do this thing alone. Uh, and it's then and only then that you realize that you have to have something within to draw upon. So it should not be compartmentalized. It should be who you are and what you do. Um, for me, it's as, it's as simple as even with business colleagues, I, I stop and, and I say grace over my meal. Uh, and, and I find no one's really offended by that uh, because I'm, that's not something I'm ashamed of. And so um, I, for me, it's worked. Uh, I'm not saying that everyone has to do what I do, but uh, I could not be here at this level. Uh, you talked about Cub Foods. I'm also on the corporate board of a company called WMS Industries. Uh, and, and so, you know, you're in a boardroom where a CEO reports to you. Uh, you, you really have to be grounded spiritually uh, to make those types of decisions and to deal in those types of arenas. So uh, we are coming close to the end of our time, and so I want to get a couple of uh, other things in before we do. One of the things that you talk about in your book is something I, uh, I think I alluded to at the at the outset of this topic, which is mentors and sponsors. And um, uh, your chapter is mentors and sponsors, why you need them, and how to attract them. Uh, tell us a little bit about why that is so important. Why do I need a mentor? The, the number one reason we all need mentors uh, and people at the top is that no one gets to the top. No one breaks through the glass ceiling. No one climbs the ladder by themselves. Someone who is further up and on the other side of that glass ceiling or further up the ladder has to see you, realize the value that you bring, and pull you up. Uh, I don't care who the leader is. I don't care what the company is. The CEO did not get there because they were just a bright, brilliant person. They got there because people along the way pulled them up the ladder. So that's the first thing that you have to remember. And because of that, uh, mentoring is important because you need someone who can help you navigate the landscape uh, that you've not crossed before. You need someone to help you through that terrain. Uh, and mentors take all shapes and sizes and colors. And so if you come into a new company, you need to find someone in that company who really can help you understand the culture and, and, and what to look out for and, and what the, you know, you need someone there, uh, particularly if you're trying to move up the, the, the corporate ladder. Um, I, I talk about all the time who's wearing your T-shirt. Uh, and what I mean by that is that there are meetings that, you know, companies have all the time. You can call them succession planning meetings. Uh, I call it the who's going to get promoted meeting. Uh, and you need someone in that room, be it a mentor or a sponsor, you know, talking about you and, and really, you know, shouting out your accolades because it gets a people thing. People, you, you have to be, they have to be comfortable with you. And I'm not going to be your mentor, and I'm definitely not going to be your sponsor if I'm not comfortable with you and realize the value that you bring in your potential. What is the difference between a mentor and a sponsor? Uh, it's a huge difference. So the first difference is that you can choose or ask someone to be your mentor. You can't choose or ask someone to be your sponsor. Uh, a mentor is someone who helps you, you know, read the tea leaves, help you, un- helps you understand the terrain, uh, you know, helps you, you know, bounce questions, ideas off. Uh, a sponsor is someone typically, and you may not know who they are, but there's someone who who sees you, values you. They're watching your career. They're always in the background. Uh, and they're the person who's secretly wearing your T-shirt. So when that promotion comes up that you don't even know is on the table yet, because, oh, by the way, these jobs just don't come up. Uh, they're well thought out in advance. Uh, this is the person, he or she, who's whispering your name. This is the person when there's a great corporate project that he knows or she knows will be great visibility for you, uh, will come to you or, or send someone to, to ask you, do you want to be on this team? And so you need that because, again, I talk about performance exposure and perception. Uh, and typically mentors and sponsors are great uh, at helping with the exposure and managing perceptions. But, again, a sponsor chooses you. You don't choose the sponsor. So if I am in an organization where I look around and I notice that, gee, I am the only Asian American at my ranks. I am the only Hispanic. I am the only whatever. I'm the only woman. How do I go about finding myself a mentor? Because part of the challenge, I think, for um, minorities is that often you are the only one for miles around in your organization, so there aren't necessarily other people above you. 
that you can go and talk to and get guidance from. So what do you do if you're in that situation? Well, the first thing you do is you need to open up, and I believe you have like almost a board of directors of mentors, uh, you know, United Nations of mentors. I think it's important if you can to find, a, you know, a like-minded person or a person of color if you're a person of color or a female. But the reality may be uh, you may not. Uh, and so you really need to find someone who is really sympathetic to, to people who are trying to advance their career, who appreciates hard work. Uh, most people find it fascinating that of the mentors I've had in my life, most of them have not been uh, African-American. Uh, you name it, I pretty much had it because my thing is if you can help me grow and develop, I could care less what you look like. I could care less mm-hmm. what your sexual orientation was. I could care less what your religious beliefs were. Uh, if you're willing to help me in advance and I can learn from you. Uh, and so if that person's not there in your company, uh, look elsewhere. So, for example, you know, I talked about you know, Executive Leadership Council. There's an organization of about 300 or so highly ranked uh, African-American professionals, uh, you know, join those types of organizations or rub shoulders with those types of organizations. Join the National Black MBA or Hispanic MBA, or if you're a woman, be a part of Catalyst. You can find other places, other avenues, other than maybe where you're employed to find like-minded people who are willing to help you and mentor you. Well, I think one of the most important things that I heard out of that is that your mentor doesn't necessarily have to look like you. Not at all. Mm-hmm. Well, I remember, you know, one of the things that caused my boss to send me to the National Executive Forum was he said to me, you know, I understand that there will be things that you will experience in this organization that are not the same as the things that I will experience because he's, you know, my company is a, it's a British company and so there are a fair number of, you know, white British males, which is kind of unusual in the United States. And um, so he sent me off to the Executive 50 because what he was hoping would happen was that I would meet other people who would have the same kinds of experiences that I had had, and so I could pick up the phone if I couldn't pick up the phone and talk to him um, because he couldn't relate. Then maybe there'd be somebody else outside the organization that I could call upon in in times when I felt like I needed that level of support and you know, when you talk about having kind of a United Nations, part of what that was part of my memory because what I realized is that actually there are different mentors who can provide different kinds of value to you. So there's one kind of value that you get from a mentor who's in the organization and understands the environment and can guide you through it. And then maybe there there's a different kind of value that you get from somebody who is outside the organization who can give you different kinds of insights that are perhaps from a broader perspective than the place where you are. Have you found that to be true? Oh, oh absolutely. I, I believe you need to have internal and external mentors, you know, uh, because, again, they give different perspective. Uh, and, again, not that a, a mentor is a see-all, be-all, end-all, but what they do is they give you different – a true mentor will cause you to think and reflect. Uh, and they'll give you different things and ideas to think about and reflect on. So there, there are certain folks that, uh, you know, I, I mentor. I don't mentor many people anymore these days, but, uh, you know, and there's a female associate, and, and I give her, you know, here's how this might look in, in the eyes of your boss who, who's, who's a white male. And I just give her a different perspective, not trying to change uh, her behavior or make right uh, anything he's done wrong, but, you know, give a different influence. And so in my world, uh, you know, you should have multiple mentors. They should be inside and outside the company, uh, and they don't necessarily have to look and be like you, but they have to add value, and they have to cause you to think. Well, that is wonderful. And with that, we are at the end of our time. Keith White, thank you so much for joining me on the show. Thank you so much, Speedway, for having me. Uh, hopefully your, your, your guests and your audience got something out of this dialogue and this conversation, uh, and I'm just honored to be a part of it. Well, listeners, uh, if you missed this or any other show, you can check it out on the com, and uh, you can listen to it on demand where it will be perpetually available. Everyday people, everyday lives, you don't have to be a celebrity uh, to be a guest on the show, if you would like to be a guest on the show, give me uh, send me an email at info at com, And uh, you can also uh, visit the Facebook fan page for comments and thoughts at facebook.com slash show, or follow me on Twitter at twitter.com slash show. Join us next week for another episode of the, sh- uh, of the Speedway Show. And until then... I would urge all of the listeners 
to go in peace, live well, live fully, and love deeply. Thank you for joining us on the Speedway Show. Until next time, live well, live fully, and love deeply. Lucky Land Casino, asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.